The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Um, I love uh, plenty of the modern worship music, and, and I love to listen to um, Bethel or, or Hillsong United. or I enjoy that and, and in my prayer times and just personal times. Uh, man, it's like medicine to my soul. But I will say, and for some of us in this room that have some history in the church, I can remember some incredible hymns. And, and there are so many, and I have a couple of favorites, uh, but some of you remember back in the day when you used to get the hymn book out of the back of the seat and crack that open, and that's how we did worship, not from a stage with a screen and stuff like that. But um, one of my favorite, my all-time favorite hymn is um, The Love of God. And there's a verse in there, and I'm going to read it, even though this kind of has nothing to do with the message yet today. But anyway, um, it's just a personal thing. But one of the, the verses goes like this, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill or pen, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, it would drain the oceans dry, and um, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And for me, I love those words because, man, the depth of the love of God is something that Paul told us, that we couldn't put all of our heads together and try to put words to it because it is so amazing and so vast. Um, I would say probably my second favorite hymn is a song called It Is Well With My Soul. And again, one that many of us in this room know. But what I love uh, about the song is the fact that the power of the song has everything to do with the context of the writing of the song. And I'm going to give you that. I've I've mentioned this a little while back before, but... um, Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago and uh, did pretty well. He was a believer in Christ. He actually traveled with D.L. Moody, an evangelist, and would work with him in doing ministry kind of together. In 1871, in the Great Chicago Fire, Horatio Spafford owned a bunch of property, property and he lost it in the fire. Two years later, he was going to travel to England on a ship and, and with his family and actually join D.L. Moody and travel with him to do ministry. And he ended up having to send his four daughters and wife ahead because he got stuck with some work things. And so they went ahead. That ship they were on sank and all four of his daughters were lost. His wife survived and, and let him know from England back to Chicago that, the, that his daughters were gone. He immediately boarded a ship and made his way to England. And while he was on that ship, he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Some of the lyrics, and it starts out with this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. There's another verse I want to continue on, but I open with these thoughts today because we're going to talk about one word. It's the word restlessness. And there's something about in this season that for so many, it is a season of joy and you see a pretty tree or you see a manger scene or you listen to a certain song and it brings up this sense of, I love, love, love the most wonderful time of the year. And that's awesome. But it's also for some a season of restlessness. 
It's a season of, of, of anxiety. And for some, it's even a season of dread for so many reasons. And what I want to acknowledge today as we look at the Christmas story is that it is not a story that's sterile and easy and, and, and we just kind of navigate through it and everybody lives happily ever after. When you get into the details of the Christmas story, it's a pretty messy situation. We talked last week about Mary and Joseph and a census and she's pregnant and having to ride an animal and having a baby in a feed truck off in a manger with animals and just all of that. And that's one description. But in Matthew chapter one, I want to read another portion of the story, starting at verse 18. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered all this, an angel of the Lord, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Father, today, for some in this room, I really believe that, that it's a season of restlessness. It's a season of turmoil. And for some, it's just the unique situation of this year and certain circumstances. And for others, it's year after year because of things that have happened in the past. And God, my prayer, no matter what the situation would be, is that we can resonate, Lord, with this story, with a look at the whole of the Christmas story, and realize, God, that there is an ability to lean into you. There is an ability to have peace beyond understanding. And I pray today for a spiritual breakthrough in every single heart that instead of coming into the next few weeks with a sense of dread and fear and anxiety and overwhelming and a want to run and an escaping or turning to a bottle or whatever whatever it would be, that instead, God, as we walk through today, there would be a new invitation to what your spirit can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Basically, I just prayed my whole message, so we're done. Um, I just realized that I'm like, I went way too far with that, but okay. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The beginning of this portion of the Christmas story is really the beginning of like, wow, that's awesome. Like they, 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 they love each other and they've made a commitment to get married and they're engaged and maybe they've set a date and she's looking at colors and he's wondering, you know, how do I just nod and say yes or, you know, whatever that is. And, 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 and things are great. But then something happens that creates a gigantic left hand turn. Anybody else ever have a moment like that? You're going along, and here's God's plan, and here's what you're thinking, and here's what should happen, and here's the direction everything should go, and all of a sudden, a giant left-hand turn. Now, for, for Mary and Joseph, God shows up, and boom, everything changes. I think of, of my own life going back to, um, you know, I didn't grow up in church world, and I had been to church, and, and you know, kind of knew about Jesus, but didn't know really anything, and I showed up in a church setting brand new here in this building in 1992 as a junior at Pilchuck, and, and 
this sounds weird to say or crazy to say, to be honest, but I showed up and the pastor at one point had everybody stand up and just said, hey, I just want you to bow your heads and I'm gonna pray. And I respectfully you know, stood up and, and bowed my head and he prayed. And, and whatever happened there, all I can say is this, I had a vision of Jesus that changed my life, okay? Boom, God shows up and everything changes because, and this sounds funny, but my plan was my plan. And I wasn't a church kid, but what I was gonna do was graduate from Marysville Pilchuck High School, save up some money, get down to California, bus tables, have side jobs, whatever, audition, get a, a role in a sitcom, get a role in a movie, become an actor, get famous, all you want my autograph and I'd live happily ever after. That was my plan. And, and so, yeah, you can clap for that, but it never happened. Here I am, no, just kidding, okay, but um, that, honestly though, that was my plan, but then God shows up and everything changed. And for me, it became very much about, I've shared this before, but very much about the simple fact that I was going, man, I love the idea of entertaining people because life is stressful and I just want them to forget their woes and go 30 minutes in a sitcom or hour and a half in a movie. I want to do that for people. But then when Jesus comes in, it's like, wait a minute, that's better than a sitcom or a movie or being entertained for a little while. That's like a real sense of peace and hope and joy and life and eternity. That's a big deal. Maybe helping people see Jesus is what this is about. And that was the change for me. But, but going back to the conversation, God shows up and there's a giant left-hand turn. For Mary and Joseph, God shows up and you want to talk about a gigantic left-hand turn. I mean, they find out that she's pregnant and all of a sudden it's like, um, I, I got I to kind of part ways and that was Joseph's perspective. But before we get to that, let me just say this. Not everybody in this room resonates with you're going a certain direction, God shows up and everything somehow needs to change. Because it's not always that obvious, let's be honest. We could say God shows up, but for many in the room, it's like, no, no, no. here's what it is for me. I thought my life was gonna go this way, and I thought I would do this, or celebrate that, or my career would be, or the marriage would, and all that, but all of a sudden, something happened. And, and in that moment, it wasn't God showed up, it was just something happened. And all of a sudden, things aren't playing out the way that I thought they would play out, and it has nothing to do with God. And then time goes on and, and life continues and there are certain things you learn sometimes from the school of hard knocks, from expectations not being met, from things going directions you wouldn't think. And the beauty sometimes is you can look back after a year, two, five, ten, or longer even and go, oh, you know what? I can see God there even though back then I couldn't see a thing. So I'm just trying to be honest with you. On one hand, we could say God shows up and things change. But on another hand, we wouldn't go, God didn't show up, just something happened. And definitely things changed. God shows up here, things changed significantly. And verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. I really like when it says, uh, in another translation, uh, her husband was a righteous man. What it means is he had a reverence for the ways of God according to the Old Testament law, and he was passionate about following God's desires. So it says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, when it says that, what it means is he finds out that his wife's, you know, something's gone on and he didn't do it. And he's like, well, the law says, like, I, I'm allowed to, to, to walk away. And you could go, well, wait a minute, aren't they just engaged? I mean, couldn't you just go, it's time to break this off, and I guess we need to part ways? But, but back in that day, and even today in the Middle East, there's a sense of like when you take a step towards marriage by getting engaged, that's actually the beginning of the marriage. 
And there's a time of you're, you're not doing anything physically, but you've committed to one another in marriage, and then you have the ceremony, and then you consummate the marriage. And so that's how it was in, in Joseph and Mary's day. So when it says he had a mind to divorce her, it's because engagement in that culture is you're married. But what I love is in, in his sense of wanting to do the right thing according to the law, he's going to step away. And I can't imagine how heartbreaking that would be. There's some of you in this room that have, have walked away from an engagement and you know, broken things off after a serious commitment. That is, you know, it's heart-wrenching. So here's Joseph and he's faithful to the law, but, and this is worth remembering, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, meaning in that culture, she would be shamed, she would be labeled, and there was even a sense where she would be set aside to live with her father for the rest of her life as a single woman. That's how bad that could be. But he didn't want her to have to go through all of that, so he's trying to figure out how do I do this kind of on the down low because I care enough about her to still want the best for her even though there's this baby and I'm not sure what to do with that. Okay, So that, that's pretty amazing, the grace that he shows in the midst of the conversation. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And again, the name Jesus means savior or Jesus, or the Lord saves. Um, and it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. This is where he gets the explanation that, that helps him understand this isn't the scandal and I don't have to walk away. In fact, the angel is saying, don't walk away. It's, it's, if you're taking notes, Proverbs 19.21, it says this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that's a separate message for another day, but somebody today I think needed to hear that, that we have our plans, but God's purpose prevails. I love that this dialogue is included in, in, in this story because Joseph's response is a powerful one. And what you have to understand, and it's a challenge for all of us, is that Joseph's response was anchored more in what God wanted than what he would do. And so when it comes down to his directive from this, this visitation by an angel, it, it reminds us that for Joseph, he was anchored not in his plans, but in trusting in God's plans above anything else. It's a reminder, just briefly, it's a reminder for all of us, we must walk with God even at times when we don't understand everything, even at times when what we feel like God would ask us to do doesn't make sense at all. The statement from Isaiah, when you get down to verse 23, it says this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name uh, Emmanuel, is a, is a prophetic verse from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Over 700 years before this story takes place with Mary and Joseph and these angels, Isaiah said those words. Isaiah penned those words. And it was that, that promise of a coming Messiah, promise of a coming Redeemer for Israel. And that statement from Isaiah reveals a ton about the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. It's a great reminder to all of us that we, we talk about Christ in this church. We preach Christ crucified. We believe that Jesus paid the price for all of our sin and bears our burdens and invites us to, to put our burdens, to cast our burdens upon him. 
that in him we find salvation. In him we find hope. In him we find strength. In him we find deliverance and purpose and peace. We, we find all of these things in the Messiah that when Paul says he fills everything in every way, it's because that's the burden that he bore on the cross that you and I can live a different life. And it's a great reminder for any of us in here when we talk about the world and, and this place we live and the sense of restlessness and anxiety and, and turmoil and whatever it is that we face. Verse 24 says this, when Joseph woke up, he did. Now that's a weird spot to pause and I get it, but I want you to notice that it specifically goes right to when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. On one hand, that's a practical response. The angel shows him what to do. He wakes up and is like, I'm going to go do that. But on another hand, I want to make sure we notice he did what the Lord commanded without, okay, I had a dream and I think God showed me something through an angel and I wonder what I should do. Maybe I need to keep praying about it. Maybe I need to ask for another sign. Maybe I need an angel to visit me tomorrow night too. Maybe the heavens should open and like the shepherds, I could see a bunch of angels and they all tell me what to do. Maybe God could speak to me from heaven. Maybe I could have confirmation through another way. Maybe somebody could tell me what should happen, and now I absolutely know. You go, why do you say all that? Because oftentimes you and I do that. We have a sense of something God has impressed upon us, a, a way that we're supposed to walk or a decision we need to make, and we put it off, and I'm going to keep praying about it, and I need more confirmation, and God needs to show me when God's like, I've already shown you. Joseph wakes up up and goes and does what he's been shown to do immediately. Oh, that we would have such faith. And now here's what goes on in some of your minds. Yeah, but if an angel showed up to me, I would do whatever that angel said. That's what you're thinking because you're going, well, I don't always know. And I would, I would challenge you with this, but God does show us. And I am fully convinced God shows us. And some of you need to quit coming here because I say the same thing over and over and you're tired of it. God does show us. <laughs> I talk all the time about you and I having a certain value and a reverence for God revealing his nature and his character and his directives and his parameters and guardrails for how we're called to live. If only we would take to a steady habit of reading. And as we read, delving in and considering and pondering and praying and looking at who God is because God desperately wants to reveal himself. I love how somebody once said, God's will is not so hard to find. When we t I say, read the scriptures, read them, because John, the disciple, opened up what we call the gospel of John with this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was with God in the beginning. Fast forward, if you're taking notes, to Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates to the dividing of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You don't need an angel to show up to you. You need to take the steps God has already given to you, and I just laid them out for you. See, we go, if an angel showed up, if God made it clear, but over and over and over, he's beckoning us back to the living word of God that transforms our lives. If we would walk out a living faith, hungry for learning truth in Scripture, in step with the Holy Spirit, crucifying our flesh, ready to obey the Lord in everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, when Jesus brings up the Beatitudes, we call them that, but he's saying, blessed are the, for they shall. And one of them is when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you understand what that means? If you look at that one beatitude in itself, it means this. Blessed are those who walk out their faith in holiness, for they shall see God's activity in the world. That it's that's that sense of a living faith that is transforming us. A living faith that is bringing a conviction that I desire what God wants more than what I want because they don't always align. Can we be honest? When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord said. What if we walked like that? The things that you know that God is challenging you even now through his Holy Spirit in your personal heart, that you walk that out. And that, that, that things that God has already said, hey, take a step here. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, you need to walk away from that. Hey, here's some habits you got to lean into. The things that God has already revealed, that we would walk those out. Sometimes I'm convinced that we don't need another sermon. We just need another act of obedience. And not out of a have to, but out of a want to. God, I want to discern your plan. God, I want to know your will. God, I want you more than anything. And in this world, there's this wrestling match of I want to do, but I don't do. But what if you did? I genuinely believe you could take a step in that faith and it grows, exercises your faith muscle. It says in verse 25, he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. It's that reminder that he walked it out. It's a story of turmoil, and we, we, need to, we need to put ourselves there because he literally was going to walk away from his marriage. I don't know how she's going to have a baby, but I, I get how things work, and since I didn't do anything, something's very wrong. Turmoil. Somebody he loved had plans, walking out their faith together. I got to go another direction. And then the angel says, don't go another direction. You're going you're gonna to marry her. 
And you're going to see this through, and it didn't get easier after that. In fact, it's the story last week that comes after that. She's pregnant, and there's a census, and now they've got to travel, and it's just craziness. It's a story of turmoil, but it's also, listen carefully, it's also a story of big faith. And faith wins. Look at how it played out. Because, and here's the key, because they chose to trust God. See, that's that peace beyond understanding thing that we read about in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. That ability to lean in when when something's going on, there's turmoil and you feel it. When there's wild twists and turns and you don't see clearly and you don't know what to do and you don't expect. And not only is it not, you know, good news, but it's obviously like bad news or rough things or heavy stuff. To lean in and choose, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you nevertheless. It's a little bit crazy to me that this message comes on a day like today because we plan things out in advance a little ways. But I'm standing up here today living this out as a church going through some tough stuff. Choosing to trust that I'm not the Lord of the church. He is. And if he's going to allow us to go through this, as dark as it can be at moments, we're going to go through this. We're not going to be stuck in it. And there are sure moments of of anxiety. You can see bags under my eyes and there's a sense of losing sleep. But every time I'm up in the night, I'm praying, God, I don't understand. And I don't prefer this at all. And I would never volunteer for this. And there are moments where in my emotions, I feel like I would far rather just do something else. But nevertheless, if I can say it, then maybe I should challenge myself to live it. And now I have to. And to be honest with you, I will gladly do that as a servant of Christ because I'm not the Lord. He's the Lord. It's something that I hope I can be a model for so that you can walk it out because I know sometimes this season isn't one of fun. It breaks my heart for some of you that navigate into a season like this and you dread it and you wish it could be like it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or even a year ago because something happened and all of a sudden you're like, here comes that season and I don't want to do that season and I don't want to try to put on a smile and I don't want to act like everything's fine. I don't even want to shop. I want to hide. I don't have the energy to decorate. I'm tired of trying to decorate. Whatever it is that you might be feeling that that you can go, you know what, let me lean in to the one that's supposed to bring me peace in the midst of the storm because I've heard it so many times before. In fact, one of the, the texts we have about the promise of a Messiah is this, he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and there's a fourth one, prince of peace. See, in John chapter 14, as Jesus is is getting near to his crucifixion. He's trying to tell his disciples some things, and he's already clued them in on, hey, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again, and they don't understand. And then it happens, and you kind of go, I better listen to what he had to say because that happened. But, But in John 14, Jesus says, this is what real love is. And I'm gonna go away, but I'm gonna send the counselor. And you need the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the advocate that's going to live with you and fill you and be inside. You need that. And then he wraps up as we navigate towards the end of John 14 in verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled 
and do not be afraid. When Jesus talks about peace there, he's talking about that sense of, 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 of God-centeredness in the midst of whatever storm is going on. That sense of, I'm going to hold on to who God is. And when you do that, as Paul said in Philippians 4, I can have a certain peace that I can't always explain. But then I love that he says, I don't give as the world gives. And he's referring to this idea that, that when you, it's, Christmas is a perfect example. When you get a gift for Christmas, you enjoy it and you play with it or you do whatever you do with it. But over time it wears out and you pawn it off to the thrift store, you sell it at a garage sale, you throw it in the garbage and you go on and we buy new gifts later. He's saying, I don't give gifts like that. I'm giving you a peace that is sustainable throughout life. And it doesn't mean that you and I are exempt from turmoil. And it doesn't mean that we won't face things that cause our you know, anxiety level to rise up or for us to wake up and go, what is going on or whatever. It doesn't mean we don't face those things. But it means that when we have Christ in the midst of those things, we can lean into a faith that will bring us lasting peace. God, you're the Lord of my life. God, you're the Lord of this church. God, you're the Lord of my children. God, you're the Lord of everything I own. God, you're the Lord of the world. I'm gonna choose to lean and trust you even though I don't get everything. Jesus with us creates peace around us. At the end of the day, that's the anchor to what I'm trying to convey today. Jesus with us creates peace around us. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What does it mean for you to make peace this Christmas? And maybe the area that you lack peace has to do with relationships and whether it's friendships or, or, or family dynamics. And there's just that kind of sideways, whatever there's that, 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 you know, you, you know that there's a gathering coming, but you know, so-and-so's there. And that just makes you anxiety level go crazy. What does it look like for you to make peace this Christmas? Maybe it's the busyness of the season. And for you, it's like, man, Thanksgiving was so late this year that now I'm rushing into the holidays and we're like two and a half weeks away. I got a shopping list and I got decorations to put up and half of my lights went out last year, so I threw them in the garbage and I'm trying to put up my tree and I want to put some stuff outside and people are going to come over and it's not going to be clean enough and how am I going to get all this done and there's all these gatherings and what's going to happen? And Calgon, take me away. But anyway, <laughs> but maybe that's what it is for you. And in the busyness of the season, it becomes more about accomplishing and checking off and getting that done and getting through it so that you can get to January 3rd or whatever and look back and go, didn't enjoy the holidays, didn't like the holidays, glad they're done, and whatever happened to enjoying Christmas. Because I hear that a lot these days. Man, it used to be so awesome. Man, you used to be able to take it in. Man, it used to be like this. It used to be like that. But now all it is is a bunch of stuff I got to get done to impress people around me that aren't ever impressed anyways. <laughs> kind of being honest. What does it mean for you to make peace this Christmas? And maybe for you it's heartache. It's pain. It's that sense of, but those people that used to come aren't here anymore. Or, or, or there's a relationship rift and a divorce and the family isn't the same and it just changed everything. It's heartache of uh, loss and what it reminds you in the season of who's not there and how bad that hurts. And that's just being honest. It does hurt. But what does it look like for you to make peace 
in the midst of something that hurts. Because I'm not saying these things don't hurt. I'm not saying these things don't happen. I'm simply leaning into the, the fact that when we realize that God is with us, I mean, that's Emmanuel. When God is with us, there's an ability to have peace beyond anything we can understand. It's fun to talk to people, and it happened in the lobby already a couple of times today. It said, you know, here's what's going on, and I can't explain it, but I have a certain peace. They said it, not me. And I was like, that's today. Like, that's, yeah. Stuff's still going on. But when you realize that God is with us, you're the Lord, and I don't understand it, and I don't like it, and it hurts. But even still, I'm going to lean into who you are, believing you have something that you want to do in this. I put it this way, and I admit it's a little bit cheesy, but as I was putting my notes together, while there may not be peace at home, you can be home with peace, or you can be at home with peace. Things may be tumultuous. Things may be crazy. Things may feel overwhelming. But my hope and my prayer is that you can find that peace. Here's the final question. I'm done. Will you trust? Will you surrender? Will you invite Christ into your restlessness? Because as we're reminded, he wants to be the one that carries our burdens. Father, today, I pray for every single heart in this room, including my own, that God, in the moments in this season, whether it's circumstances that can be overwhelming or it's, it's, it's looking back at history and thinking it doesn't feel that way anymore, or, or, or God, it's just the turmoil of, of, of the disappointment or frustration or relationships or career job. God, there's so much in our world that creates restlessness. And my prayer today is that there would be that spiritual breakthrough. There would be that invitation that when you said, come to me when you're weary and heavy burden, you meant it. That you reminded us that you've carried our burdens. That we don't have to. That part of understanding a savior for all of us is not just saving us from eternity away from separated from God, but, but literally saving us even from those burdens that we don't have to bear alone. That God, somehow we walk out of here trusting that it's not about a magic prayer. It's not about the right words at the right tone, in the right environment, with the right music, with the right candles. lit. It's not that. It's believing that as we pray, and I don't know how it always works, but I watch it and I see it in my own life, but that when I pray, it's amazing what happens. God, I pray for every person in here where there's restlessness or turmoil, where there's heartache, anxiety, where there's dread and terror, I pray it would be broken today because your spirit is with us. Because Jesus, the Bible reminds you came to live inside of us. The part of what you did on the cross was, yes, that we could be saved from our own mess of sin. It's also that sense of ongoing relationship that you remind us that you've carried our burdens. And I pray today, as we make the invitation to carry burdens, that we would have a peace that we've never been able to explain. I pray you'd perform miracles in this room today. Do a work only you can do that no longer are we running to substances. No longer are we running to eating. No longer are we running to a relationship that fills a void temporarily. No longer are we running to shopping and spending to buy new things to feel better because we got a new whatever. 
but leaning in to who you are and the fact that you walk with us every single moment of every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.